welcome. This is Dirt to Dollars, hosted by your local county extension agents, where we talk everything agriculture. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Dirt to Dollars. Do I need to? We should have had some different intro this week. You know, That's we right. should have started out with a little ice ice baby. So Kale came through last week with uh, Dumas Walkers for us, but I don't think he's got that in his playlist. <laughs> yeah, I actually tried to get him to play it earlier this week, and he didn't didn't have that one on the file. So yeah. just had to use your imagination. <laughs> are there are there any country songs? Can you think of any country songs about ice? Mm. I'll have to think about that one. It's probably more about like oh, ice. Oh, I got glass. one. Um the uh uh Craig Morgan, um the news was flashing five below, freezing rain and spitting snow. Yeah. There you go. Cut climbing out of the cottonwood tree. That's here we go. Top ten country songs about winter. Vanilla Ice releases new country song, Ride the Horse. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, released March 4th, 2020. I think that kind of got lost in the in the COVID shuffle. Colder Weather, Zach Brown Band. Footprints in the Snow, Bill Monroe. Winter um, in My Heart, the Avett Brothers. Do you even know who the Avett Brothers are? I do know who they are. I really don't. Roses in the Snow, Emmylou Harris. Tell Your Ride, Tim McGraw. Wolves, Garth Brooks. I don't know that song. I don't know that one. I thought I knew every Garth Brooks song. Jesus Take the Wheel, Carrie Underwood. Uh, How does that? I don't, I got to think about that one. If you get out and and drive about six o'clock Thursday morning, you may be asking Jesus Take the Wheel. That's true. That's a good point. And if we make it to December, Merle Haggard. No, that's a good one to finish one right it up there. on. Yep. All right, all right, Kale, let's come through for us again. We need, <laughs> if we make it through December after the show today, <laughs> I think he can do that. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of stuff we got to do in the winter. There should be some more country songs about it. About doing stuff in the winter. There right? should there should be a song about frost seeding. <laughs> he could write something to the tune of Frosty the Snowman. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about that. Okay. But I know it's it's getting to be about that time, and we're going to have some frozen ground. And maybe, heck, we may even have some snow on the ground here before too long. I know I know a lot of older farmers I've worked with in the past, they really like when you have a little bit of, little bit of snow on the ground. and You can see your tracks. If, uh, if you get a little snow on the ground, you can see your tracks. You can see your spread pattern, especially if you're doing clover. A lot of that will kind of show up, that treated clover. Poor man's GPS. Yes, it is. But it also kind of helps as that snow melts to suck it, say it sucks it down in the ground good. So some of those guys know what they're talking about. Some of them do. They do. We'll (laughs) leave it at that. (laughs) Those same ones also like going by the moon signs and doing all that fun stuff. But we'll, we'll, we'll save that. We really probably don't want to be getting too hyped up about frost seeding for another few more weeks, but we'll try to, we'll try to tie into that when the time is right. So what's some other winter time jobs you do? I know one thing on the same deal as the frost seeding, we've got some nitrogen going on wheat right now. Uh, I've seen a few people running 
with the ground froze in the mornings this week. And that looks like that's going to be the only way to get it on is with the ground froze here for the next week or 10 days. So, yeah, you know, we're supposed to have a big freeze up this weekend and depending on if we've got any cover on that ground or not, uh, may be able to run some through the weekend. But just uh, kind of like we we talk about with the clover sometimes, too, we need to watch it and uh, make sure we're not applying nitrogen on that frozen ground and then going to have a big rain event come in before the ground thaws or we could end up with some of that running off and running under a water system we don't want that so just watch the weather if it looks safe go for it and if not you're probably better off to hold off a lot of our nitrogen going on wheat is probably liquid anymore isn't it <laughs> yes yeah and that probably helps with the runoff maybe yeah, it sticks to the I ground guess. a little better maybe just a small it, well it's just something that we do a little different problem we did 10 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago, and it's a better better practice. Yeah. yeah. How many buggy loads of urea did you used to send out this time of year? A bunch. <laughs> well, but even then, there was still a lot of liquid. Yeah. Then, but but I, I'm like you, though. I can remember six, eight, ten years ago, it all, mm -hmm. or a lot of it went on dry, right. the first shot anyway. I never did really understand that. I don't know. I guess people didn't want to fool with getting their sprayers out when it was cold and just go on and put it on dry and be done with it but yeah there's a lot of benefits to using liquid more accurate for one accurate placement another thing that goes on this year is smelling skunks get yeah. your daily your daily covid test mm -hmm. smell these skunks or not on your way into wherever you're going especially if you live out in the country but heck even in the city <laughs> you can there's plenty of them out running around this time of year it's mating season so we actually uh, our guest today is going to be talking a little bit about some of these problem pests and i'm sure we'll talk about skunks and i'd like to talk to him about groundhogs so yeah we'll, we we need to talk about groundhogs because after last week's episode we mentioned groundhogs i got like five text messages of people saying if you get the guy coming on to talk about ground trapping groundhogs Make sure you let me know because I'm going to listen. Good deal. Well, they better tune in. They hope they better be tuning in today. They better um, be. I got a quick quiz for you. Do you know what a baby skunk is called? I never knew this. A skunklet. No, that's not even close. Take another guess. I'll give you one a, more guess. A kitten? That's you're, you're very close. They're actually called kits. Oh, you got to give that one to me. Nah, no. <laughs> But they're called kits because they do act a lot like kittens, evidently. I've never been that close to baby skunks. Well, I mean, a skunk is basically just a cat that smells bad. Yeah. So. I don't like cats. Not a cat person. As long as they stay in the barn. Yeah. Okay. My daughter wants one for her birthday. She wants a kitten. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, Matt. So Daniel's oh. getting a cat. <laughs> Feed that thing outside the back door. <laughs> or the barn yeah but i guess another thing we'll talk about with this cold weather is you know if you're listening to this on the radio we've probably already gotten a lot of winter weather and it's probably hopefully we haven't gotten any yeah hopefully weather. it's just a little <laughs> bit of snow this on the radio or nothing we're recording this on a tuesday the ninth so the next two or three days looks like we're gonna have some ice maybe yeah talking about polar vortexes the last couple of weeks and you have any memories of the last big ice storm that we had uh, i've tried to erase it but i've still got several because seeing that storm we had inches of ice no no no, right? no 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 
we had three quarters of an inch of ice here. Oh, I thought it was a lot no, more. Than it that. was three quarters, but three quarters of an inch of ice is a lot of ice. Yes, it is. Because right now they're talking like possibly a half inch with with this mess. And it's all. I think last night they were there was one model was suggesting could be up to an inch. Yeah. So if that tells you if two thousand nine was three quarters of an inch, if we got yeah. an inch, that would be bad. these models that they've got don't make any sense to me. So there's a, typically it's a GFS and a Euro model that they Mm -hmm. use. And here in the last few weeks, they have been way different. So like one will show, I think it was a few weeks ago, they were forecasting a week out and they showed this one forecast showed a 50 degree day and the other one showed a zero degree day. But typically when you look at the models, they'll be different when you're a week or more out. And then supposedly as you get closer to that date, they're supposed to come together. Either one goes one way or one they, goes other. Or they they meet got the a they got a whole long way to meet in the middle. Who sings that song? Um, not. I wanted to say Sawyer Brown. That's not right, is it? That is right, isn't it? Is it right? Sure, that may be right. Anyway, we're doing all kinds of country song references. That's today. right. But I'm sure as we're recording this, everybody's getting all their bare essentials. They're storming the. It's Diamond Rio, by the way. Oh, it is Diamond Rio. How did we miss that one? Sorry, Sawyer. Yeah. Diamond Rio had a few good songs. They weren't. weren't, I'll give them that. um, But anyway, yeah, so everybody's getting everything together. Everybody's loading up on firewood. I'm not. You're not, because you got a heat pump. What are you going to do when the power goes out, man? Uh, We're going to be cold, I guess. We talked about that this morning, that we really don't have a backup. We don't even have a generator. So if you're listening to this on Saturday morning and there's widespread <laughs> power outages and you have a spare generator hanging around, I'll do a shameless plug here and maybe hit a boy up because we might be shivering in the Adams household. Well, we've got a wood stove and, and we use it a lot because we like the heat because it just feels like those heat pumps don't so, get very hot. But yeah, I, I do like having it in these situations where, well, if, so everything goes out, we well, at least maybe can have that going and keep the house decently warm. So here's what I dread the most about the whole deal if we do have a power outage. No cartoons. No. We have a set of gas logs in our old fireplace. Yeah. But the 10 years that I've lived there, we've never had a propane tank. And my wife has been after me since we've been married to put a propane tank in so we can have the gas logs again. So, yeah, if we're left without any heat, that's going to get brought up, I'm pretty certain. (laughs) You might be in trouble, Matt. (laughs) But I will do a little extension reminder for anybody that's using firewood, because even if if we don't get the ice, I know this weekend it's going to be cold. cold. We may not. I keep. It's another one of them deals where the extended forecast was showing like zero, and the closer we get, the warmer the temperatures are getting. But it's still going to be cold. So if anybody is using firewood, make sure you're using seasoned firewood, not green, not green, and make sure it's good and dry. Typically, you can tell by the end. You can see cracks on the end, and you know that typically means it's pretty good and dry. Uh, But don't be using this fresh stuff that just got cut because it's it's gonna wreak havoc on your chimneys and cause chimney fires and we don't need anybody having any of that so make sure you're using good seasoned wood and if you're buying it from somebody make sure that they may say it's seasoned wood but you need to 
check it out. Maybe even get a moisture tester if you can. They're like seven or eight bucks. Easy to check. Is your firewood seasoned? It is. You have an ample supply of seasoned wood. I do. I ain't telling you where it is, though. All right. See, now I've got a lot of, so mine's a lot of kind of like these weedy trees because I've been, it's from cleaning up on the farm. So I have a lot of cherry, little bit of cedar, but I've been told you don't want to burn a whole lot of cedar in your in your yeah. fireplace or wood stove because it can cause some things to build up. It's got a lot of tan. It has releases a lot of stuff into the, it's mostly I use that for the kindling because it lights up pretty quick. No pine. Try to stay away from pine if you can, but I got well, a lot of cherry. So, so my, uh, my experience with firewood and stuff, I guess is, burn piles and brush piles oh you i got know, that too you all know something that'll light up like kerosene you take cedar. some cedar limbs that have been laying around for about a month and they're good and dry that's the coolest thing to light on fire well my my farm was full of cedar trees they've <laughs> a bunch of them have been burned and they do they will especially if they've been sitting there for about a six months to a year they will they will plumb light up quick Yep. Really helps get a fire going good and hot. And sometimes you can even throw some kind of green stuff on there. That yeah. fire's going good and it'll 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 burn it up. But not good in the fireplace. No, that would not, not be good not. for the fireplace. And I also believe we'd have some extension publications if you're curious about how good different types of firewood and different. Uh, um, we'll have to we'll look that up. We might put that on the podcast description or call your local extension office if you got questions. But what about I, I didn't know we got some stuff for that. Isn't there something out there about you're not supposed to move firewood from certain areas? Ash trees. So ash trees, you're not supposed to move. It's pretty much all over Kentucky now, but I know there's some rules about moving ash, but ash is one of the better firewoods you can find because it burns hot and it burns long um, and it's easy to split. So it's a really good, it's a really good firewood. You just got to be careful about moving it around the state. So if you've got it on your farm, Oh yeah, You're good but to be honest, if you've that. got ash on your farm, you probably better just go on and cut it down and use it for firewood because it ain't going to be worth much else. It'll be gone here in a few years. And all those little bug holes that these emerald ash borers put in it, they make it burn better because it gives it some, gives it those little holes and pockets for air to move through and it dries out the logs quick. Really Plus good firewood while we got it. You're probably burning some emerald ash borers and that's... You may be doing that, your job, that yeah. can't be a bad thing. Right. <laughs> Well, it looks like our guest is here. So let's move from talking about insect pests and let's talk about uh, some wildlife pests. We talked about some some varmints and some nuisance pests that uh, have been getting on a lot of local farmers' nerves here lately. <laughs> and he's got a he's about like us anymore, Matt. He's got a really long title, and I'm just gonna. Matt, do you just do you just want to go through and explain what your title is because it's a lot of words. Sure. Right. So it's uh, so I'm Dr. Matt Springer. Uh, yep. I'm a Assistant Extension Professor of Wildlife Management and the State Extension Wildlife Specialist. That's uh, a mouthful. It is. Two, two titles. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's why I use the signature function in my email, so I don't have to do it all the time. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. And, and at the University of Kentucky, and I'm actually a faculty within the Department of Forestry and Natural Resources here. All right. Well, okay. we appreciate you joining us today. And uh, I guess let's just jump on in it. Um, our, 
now I guess I'm going to have to say Matt Adams when I'm wanting to talk to make sure I talk to the right Matt. Uh, but Matt Adams, where do we want to start? We're going to start with. Well, let's uh, uh, hold off on that just a second. Let's start. See, I with, want to get. I'm, I'm ready to get rid of this. I know, Hulks. but but this is this is the first time we've had Dr. Springer on our show. Okay, Matt, why don't you go ahead and uh, just give us a little bit of an overview of how you got here to Kentucky and kind of what your background is. Sure. So uh, I started my position here at UK uh, February 2016. So I'm, I'm getting up there in time now. Um, and uh, I came directly from finishing up my PhD at Southern Illinois University Carbondale, uh, where it focused on uh, white-tailed deer movement uh, in relation to potential for chronic wasting disease spread, um, which is you know, present within Illinois and has been present in Illinois for, since 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that, I, I did my master's at the University of Delaware, looking at deer damage to wheat, uh, winter wheat. Um, and then uh, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. I did my undergrad at a small liberal arts college in PA. And, um, you know, I've kind of had a, a interest in wildlife my entire life, grew up hunting, fishing. Uh, I was about an hour away from the Appalachian Trail. So um, very similar kind of to the dynamic of central Kentucky and, and having, you know, the Red River Gorge not too far away kind of deal. Um, so, yeah, I spent um, a good bit of time outdoors and kind of got me to where I am now. All right. Well, uh, we'll go on and get started now, Daniel, if that's okay. We'll jump in. All right. Ground. We're, we're going right. to, yeah, we're going to talk about everything except deer since it sounds like you did most of your, most of <laughs> your work in, in we, deer. We'll, we'll save, save that for that. its own yeah. show. Because yeah. 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 We're going to have some soybean questions for about, about <laughs> that's, deer. That's absolutely fine. So groundhogs, we've gotten a lot of calls and texts since our last show. We we kind of hinted that we were going to talk about these and I've got, I've got problems in my barn. It doesn't matter what I do to get rid of them. They come back. And now I just, I can't, I can't trap them anymore. Um, I've tried the smoke bombs and I think I just wasted my money, but uh, cause I don't think they did any good. And then I've set traps. So can you give us some, maybe some tips or some, you know, some guidance on the best way to, to catch these groundhogs? Sure. So, um, it kind of depends on everyone's individual situation and what you've got going on. Um, there's a very efficient technique with a, with a conibear trap, a 220 conibear trap, which is basically the folding bar trap um, that, it, it, you know, an animal goes through it, it snaps down on them and pressurizes, it either cuts off circulation or if it hits correctly, it'll actually uh, instantly um, dispatch the animal by breaking its neck. Uh, mm-hmm. However, it's what we would fall into um, in the wildlife field as a kill trap. So they're great in terms of um, humanely euthanizing the animal as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, if any animal goes through that trap at any point in time, it does the exact same thing. So if you have a situation, say you have a barn and you have a groundhog or groundhogs, probably more than likely living Mm -hmm. underneath that barn. And you have a bunch of cats that you enjoy having inside that barn. Oh, not the barn cat, not the barn cats. (laughs) You immediately take that off the table, right? Cause you, they go down those holes just like anything else. So, um, it's a super efficient technique to get rid of those groundhogs, but you have to know what else is around to make sure that you're safely, uh, using that technique. Um, if you have kids walking around, man, the last thing you want them to do is start playing with that trap because mm-hmm. it, it will hurt them. And, you know, uh, they put 
you never know what kids are going to do is that they put their arm in there. Um, especially a smaller kid, it's, it's double spring. So it's got a lot of pressure. It could potentially break their arm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've put my hand in a, in a two twenty and a three thirty. Uh, I'll admit it. And both of them hurt. Like you wouldn't believe the three thirty, especially, which is the next size up that you'd use for things like beavers and otters. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're not one that you want sitting around without knowing what's going on. Um, and if you do know what's going on, all you basically do is you find those entrances, those holes underneath the, the barn, and you just take that trap and stick it right in there. Make sure it's got the proper clearance so that when it snaps off, um, it can fully deploy and do what it's supposed to do. Uh, other than, you know, if it's there, it's working 24 seven for you. Anything goes in and out, it's going to catch as opposed to probably the met most people do. I believe I heard you say running out there in your underwear with a 22, trying to catch it. So I didn't say who, now you admitted to it. Ah, gotcha. Um, no, so that's, you know, that's probably the most efficient way of, um, getting rid of them. So a lot of farmers, when they get into soybean fields, so you brought up deer and soybeans, I would say groundhogs are worse than a soybean field. Um, that's a great way of getting rid of them in the soybean field. Uh, you put them right in that hole and, and it usually within a day or two, it, it'll, it'll do what it's supposed to do. And luckily within Kentucky, they fall, groundhogs fall under the Kentucky regulatory statute one, one, uh, 5170. So it allows you to protect your, your property from them and wildlife damage. So you're completely legal to do it. Just be very aware of what's around. Um, if you're in a situation where that may not be safe, uh, cage traps work great. Um, you want to put them where the opening is right next to, uh, the area that they're using most frequently so that they just walk inside. You can bait them with cantaloupe or apples, um, mm. and just make sure that you have that thing set up correctly. Cause if you have a misfire and you can educate groundhogs, man, they get smart real quick. Um, just like, you know, they hear a window open at your house. They know something's happening. They run into that <laughs> hole real quick. Um, they see me running outside with my 22 and they're gone. I mean, yeah, (laughs) depending on, I'd run too, if I saw you coming. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But the, the cage traps work, some of the tricks that you can use are, um, if you don't have a lot of success right away, or they're unwilling to go inside the trap, you can actually put like a burlap sack over top of it, give it more of that tunnel look. So it looks like a, a black hole that they go into. Um, that tends to work pretty well. Um, putting a little bit of the food that's inside the trap, right outside the trap, let them know what the reward is as they go in there uh, helps. Um, and, you know, you want to keep trapping until you have all of them out of there. Uh, and whenever we talk about trapping an animal, um, we don't want to talk about trap and relocate and release. We want, we don't want to move animals around the landscape. Uh, it could potentially spread diseases or it, it actually causes some hierarchical issues with uh their own, you know, interactions, uh, where right. if you, uh, it's not like groundhogs in a new area are going to welcome someone in with open arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to start, uh, fighting for resources and, and tend to, uh, injure themselves, which is not necessarily a great humane death either. Um, so yeah, those are the two main tools. Now you mentioned one of the other ones, uh, and given your situation, a uh, firearm, uh, can be effective. Um, however, a lot of times there's a lot of hours involved or, or getting incredibly lucky, uh, with the groundhog being out and in a place that you can safely, uh, shoot at them. So, um, those are the three main techniques, um, of dealing with them. If you have the problem, uh, unfortunately they're pretty hard to deal with on the front end, uh, preventing them to get in or under said barn or shed or wherever, because of their, um, 
you know, digging ability is really strong. So even if you want to bury six, eight foot or six, eight inch fence around your building, they may actually go from like two or three feet away and get underneath it. Hmm. Um, their, their tunnel system is quite intense and, and immense. And, um, you know, they're to be credited, it's quite amazing, but it's also the problem, uh, especially if it's underneath your foundation. So what's so attractive to a groundhog? Why, why do they end up in these barns and farm buildings all the time? Well, believe it or not, you're a lot safer to be around than a coyote in the middle of the True. field. So um, there's, there's protection from predators. Uh, you know, coyotes are a lot less likely to come right up to a barn uh, or your house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally there's some food resources. A lot of folks have gardens around, uh, bird feeders. All those are potentially food items. Uh, so yeah, the, the structure, you know, you think about where groundhogs used to be in, in farm fields, a lot of times they were at hedgerows or tree lines. Uh-huh. We removed a lot of that. So now they're, they're, they don't have that structure present. So the, the structures that are present are either tree line or, you know, your barn, um, the tobacco barns in the middle of the field that are present there are, you know, that's what we see a lot of times in central Kentucky or, you know, they're by the barn because of the fields around it. Uh-huh. Uh, so that offers the, the secure <clears throat> location to run to. You gonna ask about skunks, Matt? I can. Okay. Switch. I didn't want to do all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So switching uh, topics a little bit, let's go to another. I guess kind of nuisance animal. It could be a, a very large nuisance. Is a skunk. We we smell skunks. Uh, seems like every day around here this time of year in Kentucky. Uh, what what are some options you have for skunk control or? Uh, just what are some tips you have for dealing with skunks around the farm? Well, so, uh, keep in mind that skunks are usually the, you know, their, uh, their little scent sack there is usually the basis for all perfumes and colognes. So don't discount it too much. Huh. If you like using perfume or cologne. Um, so skunks are kind of the same thing. They're a little, um, they can do some digging around buildings. They'll, uh, frequent around barns and houses as well. Um, they're, you know, much more nocturnal, uh, in their behavior, whereas groundhogs are, are definitely a daytime active animal. Um, right now we're seeing them quite a bit because it's mating season, just like the rut in November with deer. It's the rut for skunks right now. Um, the less damage on your car as they cross the road though. So, um, (laughs) they males will start, uh, walking around looking for females. Uh, they have horrible eyesight good sense of smell. Um, so, you know, they, they get themselves in bad situations pretty quickly because they can't see them. Um, so if you have a skunk problem, the good thing with skunks is because they're not as, as, um, capable of diggers as, um, groundhogs are you can fence them out of areas. You can just use some chicken wire fence and, you know, you may put it in like an inch or two into the ground, but that is usually enough to deter them from being around. Um, so if you have, you know, where one's coming in under your, your barn or under a shed, let them leave at night, watch them leave and go over there and put it up and block them out. Um, if you need to trap them, um, cage traps are really effective, uh, as are those two twenties. If you, but guaranteed bomb afterwards, the cage trap, you can actually, 
that was going to be my question is how do you, if you catch them in a cage trap, then what do you do? Well, so they're relatively calm animals. Um, If they know you're coming and you're not surprising them, you can actually walk right up to them. And the advice we give is walk up and and talk to them, let them know you're there in a very calm, soft voice (laughs) and just go right up there and throw a blanket over top of them. We need to set up, Matt Adams, we need to set up a video on how to do this. Uh-huh. And it could be an extension yeah. video. And we go let you, first. yeah, you talk to them and you go up there. And if it works, it's going to be a great educational resource. And if, if it, it doesn't does, work, it's, it's going to be a funny, be a funny video. video. Well, then we do the de-skunking video, how to de-skunk yeah. when Um So, uh, yeah, so you can, I mean, we did that where we were doing some predator trap. Uh, trapping for uh, some research projects when I was doing my PhD and we catch skunks on occasion in a foothold trap. You walk right up to them. Uh, it's a, it, it, it actually works. doesn't sound like it works, but it does. Huh. If you're worried about it, they do sell a skunk tube trap that's completely enclosed so that you can put that out and, and the door goes down and you can kind of check to make sure what you got is what you got. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, so they can't spray Well, they could spray inside of it, but it's not going to really get on you. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, they can be dispatched um, with a firearm same way. If you shoot them in the chest, you're less likely to have a um, release of said odor. Um, A shot to the head is almost guaranteed to cause them to release the odor. So I would have thought that was the other way around. Most people do. (laughs) And it's, it's just because of the, the system shock, I think is what happens is it causes them to release everything. Um, But, you know, Either way, you want to try to dispatch them as humanely as possible if you catch them. Um, they are potential rabies carriers, so be aware of that. You want to be a little more cautious around. Uh, between skunks, foxes, and bats are our top ones for rabies in Kentucky, so you don't want to be playing around with them. Um, if you do get sprayed, there are options to getting rid of that. Um, you can actually uh, buy some um, commercial products. Uh, Neutrolium Alpha is one that's available, and it's just a deodorant, basically. Uh, others include like an EcoAbsorb, which is more of a plant-based uh, option. But you can make your own if you um, have some hydrogen peroxide. So it's a one-quart hydrogen peroxide, a quarter cup baking soda, and uh, about two teaspoons or, of uh, dish soap. And just mm-hmm. lather up, and that'll kind of help get rid of that um, smell. Maybe one or two times later. Well, you just saved like you just saved like ten cans of tomato juice. Yeah, it, that's it, probably because that's what I hear, and that's probably what I would have done. I'd have been work. like, "Get the tomato juice." Uh, it's a lot of tomatoes. Yeah, um, you know, so that's it may eventually work, but yeah, there's other options, and that that that's one good is to know. the best in terms of if you're trying to keep them out size wise for. Um, you know, uh, wire fences, quarter to half inch, um, wire mesh fences is pretty darn effective at keeping them out. And, um, they don't climb. So if you have worry about skunks getting your garden, if you have a two foot high wire mesh fence, they're not going to really climb over that. So, uh, which is helpful. That's good for, you know, if they get it, if you have bees, they sometimes cause problems with bees cause they'll go after beehives, huh. as well, which makes them a little irritated. Uh, Rick Besson here at UK, the etymology specialist, yeah. Uh, had that problem on campus he kept yelling at me to deal with this skunk and i told him <laughs> I yeah we, we had him on a few weeks ago talking about private applicator training we should yeah. have brought we'll have to bring that up next time yeah we, we will. Him on. <laughs> yeah he said they just well he was having more problems with the skunk was just walking by and making them angry so i guess he's getting stung a few <laughs> more times so hey anything else for skunks i mean um so my yeah. my most memorable skunk story i'll tell it right now 
uh, when my wife was pregnant with our little girl, we had a doctor's appointment in Louisville at like seven o'clock in the morning for her to, to be there. We'd let the dog out that morning. All we see is the tail end of the dog run and tackle something. And then he comes running back and you can tell what he tackled. It was a skunk. So it was one of those deals. We, I, I almost want to say my wife grabbed some tomato juice that we had in the cupboard, just happened to find some and tried to soak him down. And we realized it wasn't going to do anything. So he was a black and white border collie. Uh, so he was, was stained red on his white parts. We just stuck him out in the pen and said, we got to go to the doctor's appointment. We'll deal with him when we get home. <laughs> and yeah. ended up ended up ordering some some kind of commercial de-skunk stuff that was the only thing that could do it, and it took it right off. <laughs> yeah, they, it, it works. I mean, you think about uh, trappers actually, you know, will catch and try to sell the pelts, and, and they have to de- to get yeah. rid of that odor before yeah. they try to sell it. So there's stuff out there that's really effective. Um, it may be a little costly, uh, over time, you know, but it, it does work. Yeah. Yeah. So something a little different, uh, let's go from skunks to another kind of nuisance that we deal with, especially Daniel's tribe of sheep herders over there, uh, (laughs) seem to always be worried about coyotes. What, uh, what are some, some ways to, to keep coyotes away to, when do we need to be worried about coyotes? What do they actually prey on i guess that we should be worried about around the farm or out in the rural setting well uh they eat about anything so they're i mean really an omnivore we think most of the time dogs are uh pretty much carnivore but they will eat a lot of i mean man one of the best things you can do for attracting a coyote is have a persimmon tree um just they'll eat persimmons like you wouldn't believe or how many uh sweet corn farmers you have that have coyote problems they go in and eat all the sweet corn so they will eat pretty much anything um and if you were a soybean farmer with a vole problem i would tell you you want to keep as many coyotes around as possible um because they will eat you know two to three dozen rodents a day about now uh in the winter um because they can hunt them a lot easier because there's not as much cover Hmm. But, you know, they cause problems. I mentioned the sweet corn already. Um, and, you know, sheep are definitely, goats are another one that they can get into and cause a lot of issues because, uh, you know, they're smaller than said, you know, a cattle, you know, right? Cow is going to be able to protect uh, its calf or even a calf and, is almost too big. And that's the thing, you know, I grew up around cattle all my life and always remembered people talking about, you need to shoot every coyote you see because they're going to kill baby calves. I never remember uh, losing a baby calf to a coyote yeah it's um unfortunately you know they do warrant some concern for producers especially the sheep and goat producers mm-hmm. but man i i rarely ever hear of an actual um cattle loss to a coyote a lot of times it's domestic dogs that are causing a lot of problems free ranging dogs that get into uh screwing with cattle yeah. you know there are concerns you, you know backyard chicken folks you know backyard flocks are another one that they can cause problems the big thing with, with coyotes and, and dogs in general, uh, whether it be wolves uh, or foxes, is they're incredibly territorial for the most part. So if you have a, a pair of coyotes around right now, they're going to defend the territory. Now, you may have some territories that are overlapping, like, you know, where they're, they're working it out among their neighbors and who owns what. Uh, so it's possible to have, you know, more than two coyotes around. If you have a dominant set of dogs in the area that aren't causing you problems, you don't actually want to get rid of them. You want to keep them around. 
<laughs> that's kind of what's going on at my place because we know coyotes have been in the field with our sheep and we don't have guard dogs right now and so the only thing that's that we've really got is fence and they get in the, i mean it's very tough fence to get around but they get in the field somehow but yeah they haven't they haven't killed anything alive so that's kind of how we're playing that right now is we're not i told my neighbors because they've asked oh do we need you want us to shoot those coyotes when we see them no because they're not hurting anything and i think they're they're good scavengers and they're i'm sure they're getting their food from where they need to but they're not bothering the sheep right now yeah that's the thing is if they're good at getting their food and they are you know they can be then usually they don't mess with uh, a lot of the the things we would call problems right mm-hmm. so animals um or you know sweet corn they would probably get into regardless so that could be a problem you know there's some effort involved with taking down an animal uh sheep and and goats in most cases are larger than they are mm-hmm. um and you know sh- herds uh herding mentality can come back and bite the coyote in the butt if you get a couple aggressive views in there that chase them because uh, I, I i'm sure you could probably do some heavy duty damage to a coyote um if there's a bunch of them and i've seen them stomp groundhogs i haven't seen them go at a coyote but i've seen them stomp groundhogs and i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't want them <laughs> stepping on me like that to get angry nope. at them nope. no so um yeah so there's some risk there but yeah it, the the mentality of I don't have a coyote problem, don't create one, is one that we try to talk about where, you know, if you take out those dominant dogs, the, the, we got we have so many coyotes. We're not getting rid of coyotes. Um, the only way we get rid of coyotes is if we had wolves who would get rid of them for us all the time. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure you guys don't want to. I'd wolves. rather have the coyote. Yeah, so keep that in mind. Um, where, you know, they disperse up to 40 miles or more in some cases you have the dominant individuals and you have the, the sub adults or the, probably the pups of this past year that are kind of walking around waiting for a territory to open up. So as soon as you get rid of some of those dominant individuals, you're not going to have like no coyotes for the year. You're going to have some individuals that move in pretty quick. Um, they are constantly marking their territory, patrolling it. And when they stop doing that, everyone else notices. So you'll just inherit a new set of dogs and you know, they may be fine and be really effective at finding their own prey and eating what they're supposed to be eating. That doesn't cause a problem. But if you, the, the younger and younger animal you get, the more and more likely you get one that's inexperienced and not as efficient as the adults were, which when you're looking at a sheep, if you're having eaten in two days, do you think you're going to take that risk? Well, probably. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you do have a coyote that's causing a problem, you definitely want to get rid of that coyote out instantly. Because if they are, have um, basically taken that risk and gotten a reward, then you have, they will probably take that risk again because the reward is pretty high, to be honest, you know, sheep are going to taste good and there's a lot of it there to eat. So um, if they, you know, find that as a thing that they learned that they can do, you want to get that animal out of there as quick as possible because your likelihood of having another issue is going to increase drastically and that holds true with bobcats as well so if you have a bobcat that takes out an animal you want to get that bobcat out of there once again they fall under 150 170 so 365 days a year if you're having a problem you can remove them legally um and trapping is really the method you want to to take uh with that because um man they're hard to hunt they're hard to target the animal that's actually causing the problem so you want to set you know footholds snares are super effective box traps are not i know they sell some of those in the store where the huge ones there you'd be highly unlikely to get a a coyote i've never heard of anyone catching a coyote in a box trap um 
I've seen more Labradors and box traps than I have seen coyotes and <laughs> box traps. Um, so, you know, the big thing with that is, is they're incredibly intelligent. They, if they find something wrong, your likelihood of being able to catch them drastically decreases. So you want, you know, that learning curve is steep as a trapper. So you need to, to find someone that if you've never done it before, that can teach you how to do it. And there's a lot of folks in the United Trappers of Kentucky um, those that are probably more than willing to help you either learn or um, especially now they might be willing to come out and trap your property if you let them trap for other things uh, if you're having a problem. So what you mentioned that it's hard to hunt and target the animal that's causing a problem, is that just because, you know, when I think of people coyote hunting anymore, uh, most of them are calling or something like that. Does that just attract coyotes in from outside the territory or what's what makes it so hard to to figure out if you're getting the right one or not well so there's like remember how i said there's territories that are overlapping mm-hmm. so you may have um you know if you're on a four or five hundred acre farm um you may have four or six coyotes that are using that farm at a rate of basis just because how the ways things overlap so you may only have one coyote that actually is causing the problem yeah. so how do you know like i call a coyote and what that i'm shooting the correct one and that's where it's hard because if you remove one that isn't causing a problem, then you open up that door, right. To fill that void and you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. I usually say, if you have pasture with your sheep in it, that you lost sheep in, I would snare the outside of that pasture and, or put full footholds around that pasture so that, you know, you may have some coyotes that you're using it, but the likelihood of encountering that coyote that caused the problem is a lot higher than say, I'm going to trap everywhere on my farm. You may pick off a few animals that aren't actually the, the culprit. Right. And one last thing that I don't think we can get uh, have an episode talking about nuisance wildlife without talking just a little bit about black buzzards. Uh, and, you know, we've got a lot of folks starting to calve here in the in the next month or so, and that seems to be when we have the most problems. What are just some tips about either deterring them or, or how do we manage around deal with them? Sure. So, um you know, in terms of cultural practices, uh, keep an eye, especially as you get closer to calving tie, keep an eye on things. Uh, if you start seeing vultures around, um, if you have the ability to move um, those cows inside um, to, a, to an area that at least, you know, protects them from avian predators, that's a good thing. Um, we have the effigy pub- publication um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, you know, if you can get that effigy made and up before the calves are on the ground um, within a week or so, then you have some protection there, which is, is pretty good. And we're seeing a lot of positive results from that. Um, if you do have a, a major concern uh, where, you know, you're walking out there, you got a roost of 50 vultures that are just staring at your cows every day. Um, then you should go through the process with the farm bureau, Kentucky farm bureau, get a permit. Mm-hmm. And you may want to consider um, using one of the three sub permits that you're allotted there um, to uh, remove one of those vultures and then hang it up uh, to uh, deter them. Cause they do respond to those effigies really well. Uh, they have that sense of mortality, knowing something's wrong. Uh, however, they're most effective before they have gotten a taste of calf uh, in your field, rather than if you have an issue and you know, all of a sudden you lost a calf and you go out there, there's birds sitting there um, feeding on the, on the carcass. Um, you're going to have a harder time getting them to stay away uh, than, you know, if, with a effigy than if you had put that up before they even attack that calf it's that re- risk reward idea again right so i was already on the ground and eating why is it all of a sudden no longer safe um so it's it 
it, they are really effective. They, they work at breaking roosts up. Um, so it's, it's, it's one that if you can, you know, build that effigy, I think it costs about 20 to 25 bucks in materials, uh, on the front end. It's, you know, make it, hang it up in your pasture where it's visible from anywhere in that pasture, or, you know, may need to put two up or three up, depending on how big your calving pasture is to, to get full coverage. Um, that's, that's going to be your best bet on the front end for sure. Um, and you brought up something there that I always try and kind of encourage people uh, to do is if you do lose some livestock, if you have a cow die or lose a calf or whatever, uh, do something, whatever your proper way of disposal is, if you're going to bury it or uh, or call the dead wagon, if you have that in your county, whatever, do that as quickly as possible because that seems like where I always see the worst problems are on the on the farms that have had a carcass laying around for two or three days. And they, it just seems like they flock into it. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're scavengers. That's their job is, you know, primarily to remove, especially turkey vultures. That's all they do. They don't feed on anything live. Black vultures are a little more aggressive and, and will attack, but um, they are there to remove dead animals from the landscape and they're very good at it. Um, mm-hmm. And to bring this up, since you, you mentioned that we actually have a research project with Purdue that's starting up. Uh, where we're trying to to get our hands on pretty positive mortalities of vultures and calves because we're we uh, currently you know so the depredations of calves still fall under uh, depredation payments uh, with FSA so mm-hmm. you should absolutely file that as a loss um, and you know it goes towards your your uh, allotment that you you know where you have to meet that threshold um, and if you do go over then you would get, receive payment for it. But um, there are some issues with um, ensuring uh, the correct assignment of cause of mortality. And we're trying to uh, basically be able to determine some diagnostic features on calf killed or vulture killed calves that will help uh, producers do that. Uh, so if you have a loss that you pretty sure is caused by vultures, um, you know, reach out to me directly. Um, you know, you can Google Matt Springer UK and my website pops up. All my contact information is there. Um, you can just, you know, Google Matt Springer, one word at uky.edu uh, for my email. You can email me and let me know and, and we'll come out and grab that animal and, and we'll actually drive it all the way up to, <laughs> up to Indiana to, to the vet that's <laughs> doing this. It's a regional project and uh, USDA Wildlife Services is um, priority after feral hogs is black vultures. So they're, they've, they've okay. put a lot of um, money towards it. We've got a, uh, a separate research project going here this spring with uh, looking at nests, vulture nests, um, and nest survival. So if you have nests and you want to let me know, and you're willing to have us come out and throw a a trail camera on it, we'd appreciate it. Um, And we're also putting some GPS backpacks on them to kind of get a better gauge on population growth and survival so that, you know, if it comes to the point where, um, you know, we know the population is steady enough that we can give producers the AOK to, to deal with the problem when it occurs, then uh, we want to be able to have that tool. If we can't have that tool, we need to know so that we can monitor and, and uh, come up with some other uh, mechanisms to help producers when they experience this problem. Cause the problem's occurring. We all know it's occurring. We're not fighting right. that. It's just a matter of how do we, how do we approach this without, you know, having the, the animal go the route it did with, uh, you know, um, previously like the bald eagle where we lose it and crashes the pot cause they're slow to reproduce, um, slow to mature. So it, they can respond negatively pretty quickly if, if everyone goes out there and starts shooting them. Hmm. All right. So yeah, if that's something that, 
interest you or if you have some situations like that, either get a hold of Dr. Springer himself or get a hold of your county extension agent. Uh, if it's not Daniel or I, uh, get a hold of your county extension agent and they can get you in touch with Dr. Springer as well. So. Sure. We really appreciate you joining us and taking the time to talk. And uh, hopefully, we, we actually, we will be getting you on yep. again. We're going to talk about Vols for sure. So yeah. uh, keep us keep us in mind. We'll, we'll get you back in here in a few months. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Really enjoyed it, guys. Yep. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Well, now I can't get the image of you running outside to shoot the groundhog out of my head, Daniel. So thanks for that. It's a good image. Yeah. It's a good image. It'll help you go to sleep at nights. <laughs> Cause nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But he knows what he's talking about. He's he's a uh, um, you know, he's he's one of those that's really passionate about what he does, and you could see it in the work that he does. He's really passionate about wildlife and trapping animals and and uh and and about that whole you know, protecting livestock and you can tell it in what he does. Yeah. A lot of his programs yeah. have, have shown just that. So I actually, I may have, we're going to have to find some people to get signed up for this, uh, uh, vulture nest trail cam thing. We'll have to, there you go. If, so if, if you've got a vulture nest, yeah. let us know. We went kind of long with him this week. So we probably, I think we're about good on time. I hope everybody's staying safe. And if you're iced in, I'm, I'm glad we were able to keep you warm with a, for about an hour to 45 minutes of yeah. dirt to dollars time. Yeah. We'll do our weekly plug. Uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it just about anywhere. Just Google dirt to dollars podcast and you'll find it. Doesn't even yeah. matter how you spell it. If you Actually, Google it no. dirt with the number $2, it'll pop up. If you, do, if you spell it all out, dirt $2, it'll pop up. It will. Try right it. there on Google and, or any, basically any, any search, engine, search yeah. engine that you have. <laughs> Why do they call them search engines? I mean, they because don't... it's a mechanism for searching. Okay, the interwebs. Sure, I never understood yeah. that. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. and then of course Saturday mornings, eight oh five, Abe ninety three point seven. Listen to us online at Abe ninety three Yep, I realized you could do that this week. That's how I listen from my home now. Or if you got one of them Alexa things, I don't have one of them, but you can say, hey. Listen to Abe 93.7, and she will turn it on to Abe 93.7. Yeah, I don't have one of those either. They kind of I, I think they out. listen to you, so I don't have I one. Like but if you do either. have one of those, you can uh, you can listen there too. Keep your stick on the ice. Which TV show is that off of? No idea. Red Green Show. Don't tell me you oh, don't watch, watch Red that. Green Show. We'll talk about that next week. Okay. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about the, the Dogecoin thing we we're supposed to talk uh, about. We'll, okay. we'll push talk about that to next week. Too. All right. What? All right. See you. See you all next week.